0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the 7 Figure Flipping Podcast. This is Bill Allen on today's show. I have Adam Whitney back with me again, and we are talking about the Blackjack Real Estate Year in Review. So what happened in our real estate business this year? What can you learn from it? Lessons learned takeaways, a couple tips for you and some things that we saw in the marketplace. It's going to be a great show. And if you're interested in learning more or being more well connected with our community, you can go to sevenfigurerunway.com, fill out an application. If you're a high level investor doing a lot of deals, I encourage you to go to sevenfigurealtitude.com, the number sevenfigurealtitude.com, fill out an application there and then jump on a call, talk with my team and see what it's all about. So Adam is a A huge um, person inside the group that does a lot for us. He's one of the coaches running simulators with me doing all kinds of stuff. It's been incredible to, uh, to see him grow inside the community. So um, I want to give you that opportunity and invite you in before we start the show. But without further ado, here's our Blackjack real estate year in review. My name is Bill Allen, and I'm the leader of a group of elite house flippers and wholesalers called seven figure flipping. We don't brag or show off our success, but instead let integrity and stewardship be our guide. We are dedicated to helping people unlock the freedom they desperately need. If you ask other real estate investors, they will say to keep your secrets quiet. But we believe in abundance, not scarcity. And that's why we are the elite. We are 7 Figure Flipping, and this podcast is our playbook. Well, hopefully you had the opportunity to watch the first show that Adam and I did. It was about the real estate simulator that we're running right now, our 7 Figure Runway program. If you missed that one, go back and watch it. But now we're going to talk about... The blackjack year, rear, <laughs> blackjack year in review. So uh, that was tough to say. The uh, year in review is something I like to do every year. It's just kind of going back and saying, hey, what, what did we expect to happen and what actually happened? And um, this is uh, t- the end of the year, 2023, where before we plan for 2024, step one is how did we do this year and assess what happened? So we're going to talk about that. And then um then you guys see and and some lessons learned. What can you learn from this and glean from this for your business? Uh, hopefully this is just absolute value-packed uh podcast, which I think it will be. Um, but I've got Adam on the call today because honestly, I don't really know a lot of what's going on. So this will be a great update for me. I'll interview him and uh we'll be able to talk about uh, blackjack and I'll jump in whenever possible or some things that I saw or what I see from this. Um uh, for you just to share with you guys. So Adam, you can uh, take And if you don't know, and is you're jumping on the show for the first time, Adam is the CEO and owner of Blackjack real estate. So about, I think it was like three years ago. Now, Adam came in and stepped in my place and I have a minority share ownership in the business still. And Adam and I talk from time to time. You might think that Adam and I talk every day, but we really don't. Um, it's just whenever he needs me, whenever something comes up, whenever I I, I screwed something up from the past that he needs me to fix, usually he's reaching out and calling me. So, um, Adam, you can take it away.
1: Yeah. Thank you for that, Bill. I think, um, this is cool because I, this was an interesting year in real estate for a lot of people, the market shifted and, um, we kind of dealt with some, some really interesting headwinds, but, all that said, we actually did a little bit better than last year, but we didn't hit our goals. So our goal going into 2023 was 1.6 million dollars in revenue, gross profits, and we are, uh, and our our deal goal was much higher. I think it was like 90. We actually ended up doing less deals with slightly bigger um, deal size. Last year, I think we cl- we ended up closing about 41. This year, we've closed 42 with eight in escrow right now. we closed about um, 810,000, 20,000, in, in, uh, and this is since January. I typically count from October to October because of Flip Hacking Live, but since January, um, 814,000, and we're projected to close nine twenty. With eight more deals in the pipeline and potentially more, we've got a couple flips um, that are are on market too. So that will be a total of fifty deals for this year, um, which is about thirty or forty deals less than we thought we would do. Here's here's what here's what's interesting about it is we're projecting off of so every year we go back and we're. we're we've completed one annual meeting for next year already. And we have another one coming up in a, in a week or so. And we go back and we we're analyzing what happened in 23 to build the plan for 24. And we saw changes from 21 and 22 and plan 23 off of that data. And we saw changes in the market. So one big, big takeaway for us. Like one thing, cause I, I like a tangible lesson learned for us was our cost per lead got too high from a marketing perspective. Um, when, when you kind of track back, like, man, we need, we, sh- we didn't hit our goals. Why didn't we hit our goals? What, what was our conversions? And we looked at our cost per lead and our cost per contract, but really it starts at cost per lead and the strategies we were using to get the leads um one other headwind in the real estate industry is m- for the most part outbound marketing got it died in bulk so any type of mass outbound marketing uh w- was significantly less effective than it had been in previous years due to regulations and policies and things of that nature so there was a shift to inbound marketing. So when I say outbound marketing, I'm mostly talking about telemarketing, cold calling, texting, that kind of thing. And inbound marketing would be where the seller's coming into us, whether it's calling from direct mail, coming into our our, cert, our SEO website, Google ads pay-per-click, or a pay-per-lead, pay-for-the-lead type site. Um, And... Here's, here's what's, I think you'll get a kick out of this bill, but the, the most effective marketing turned out to be direct mail, a combination of direct mail and SEO. Okay. Bit of a blurred line because folks are coming to your, um, they're getting your card and going to your website, which I find to be effective it builds credibility. Plus we have great Google reviews and all that stuff. So, but it does make it hard to delineate where those come from, but I look at them separately and then I look at them together. Cause there's a lot of direct search going on our website, which means they came from our card, right? Um, where the, where the shift happened. So, so two things, one where the shift happened when as outbound started to, to die and people started coming off of outbound, the price for leads from the paper lead companies started to go up because you're bidding and other investors started getting onto those lead sources. Like I need to sell my house fast or something like that. There's Mm -hmm. dozens of them, right? So then they start bidding the price up and then you get, if you think about this, we said we knew exactly how many leads we thought we needed to produce to hit our number. We knew how many of those leads we need to convert into an appointment, so on and so forth. So then you start to inch up that budget to get those leads inputted into your system and um our 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 cost per lead just ended up being higher higher than it needs to be for it to be effective, right? Um so that was the those were two of the absolute biggest takeaways. The other headwind, the other interesting thing this year was uh and we talked about this I think at one of the meetings is our SEO was doing really well and then our site crashed and everything crashed. So we had to kind of revamp, uh, we had to rebuild all our pages and get back up and running. So in April it went down to, it was, it was cruising and then it went down to zero and then we kind of had to rebuild back up on SEO, which is a bummer because that's such a high margin. It's, it's a low volume, but high margin, um, high margin marketing channel. I'll pause there because I I, I know, like, I know I'm going to get 10 good ideas from you here.
0: Uh, No, so what I I heard, and I think for those that are listening for the outbound marketing, like one one thing that's interesting, if you look at direct mail, so a lot of people, like you, you named it as like inbound marketing. It really is outbound marketing because like, let's say you drop like bulk texts, If you look at direct mail on that, like you're pulling a list, you're skip tracing a list and you're sending it out. Right. And you're sending it out. And those people are raising their hand and saying, I'm interested. Uh, Cold calling is, is kind of, it's just, it's a little bit different process for like, for it's still, I I look at direct mail. It's still outbound. Okay. So (laughs) when you talk about that, like um, I'm interested because.
1: Here's how I'll delineate. Um, If I call you and say, Hey, I got cattle. I want you to buy cattle for your farm. And you're like, dude, I'm not, what are you talking about? I don't need any cattle. But if I send you a piece of mail and you call me because you're interested, I mean, there's just interest and intent. So I, that's why we, that's why I've personally delineated that way. Cause I know if they call me, they're either going to yell at me to take them off their list or they're curious. And if they're curious, I feel good about that.
0: Yep. But I mean, in that same vein, then a text message would be the same. If they respond. So like what, the way I look at it, the way I look at this stuff is like, are we looking for them? or Are they looking for us? So for me, like, I'm looking for you in mail. I'm looking for you in call calling. I'm looking for you in texting. I'm looking for you in all of these things. And it's just, it's semantics at, at, at yeah. that point. But when you think about like the, the quality of the lead is where I think that, and the cost usually on the delineation of this, where now I'm, the when they're looking for you they're on fire so when i think about this like outbound versus inbound for me it's like the people that are out there googling like i need to sell my house today so think about think about it differently cuz most people that are listening to this aren't uh, they don't they're don't, not going to sell their house for 50 cents on the dollar but if your toilet is overflowing in your house right now you're not waiting for a piece of mail for somebody to be like hey uh i can fix your toilet <laughs> And you're not like waiting for a text message to come in to be like, I can fix your toilet. You're immediately going on Google and being like, I need, I need a plumber. And then what you do is you call that person on that first ad. And if they don't answer, what do you do? You call the next person, and the next person, and the next person, and the next person. So the speed at which you're responding is insanely important, but you're also paying typically paying a lot more money for that lead. Few will come, fewer will come in, it'll be a smaller number of people. And so that, that to me, like the inbound side of that is like, I got to get to them fast. It costs a lot of money, but they're really hot and motivated. Whereas a lot of the outbound stuff that, that I, I think of in marketing is uh, even that postcard, they're probably getting some other postcards, but if they're calling my postcard and five others, like they've been saving them and now they're shopping. Like now it's the time where they're shopping versus like, I got lucky and I put it in that mailbox at the right time for to, hit, mo- to hit somebody. But they've probably been thinking about it for a while. Not like, I, I need surgery and I need to find a doctor right now. right? You know? So that's to me the, the kind of difference that I see between those. So like all those, anyway, it's, it's not necessarily important for the conversation, but when you're, what I want you to do when you're listening to this is start thinking about the marketing that you're doing and the process that you put behind it in order to, because you said the cost per lead was too high. So when I think about that, I think about cost per lead adjusting based on a few things. The list, the the message, the market. So it's market message match. And then also the process behind it. So it could be the fact the process is jacked up. Because, I mean, your cost per lead is like, it's, it's it really typically we're taking like the whole process to say, all right, like it took this many leads to find a deal. Now, all of that stuff is... It's so dependent on how you answer the phone, what you say, the salesperson, like yeah, that- the, the closing of that, the, the transaction coordinator, getting the thing across the finish line, how, how many liens and judgments and things and how many fell out of contract. That all affects the entire business. So when you think about all that, there's, there's a few things at play there. So. Anyway, I just wanted to yeah, that,
1: that, no, no, bring that up. That brings up a uh, because um, it's never just one thing, right? So you're you're right. Yeah. The sales process we we talked a lot about this internal to the group, but and you had Lindsay on. We the yep. sales process got really stagnant, and when the market was in flux, it was even more challenging. With uh, with sellers, and we made this massive change with Lindsay and bringing on a different sales process. And ultimately, it was it was like the numbers are are much better with that particular sales process. But that takes time to implement across the board. We we split tested both sales processes, and then went and trained on the the one that won, which was what Lindsay was doing. And it was just far more effective. Um, the conversion rates went up, so you know less appointments to get to to get to a contract and that kind of thing. So that was that. That's another you know internally internal um, self self inflicted headwind for our company. In conjunction with all the other things going on so it's kind of a little bit of a complex machine it's not always just one thing which is why we're looking at all the data to go to, to kind of break all that down um uh, the other thing that was interesting was mail had not been as effective um for a little while and it's funny because it's kind of ebbed and flowed over six months stints where it's really effective and then it's like not effective but we've we found Stacking the right data, and this is challenging when you try to do it at scale, Um, you know, when you're not just mailing everybody. Uh, Stacking the right data has been more successful. I'll give you you an example. Um, We've been toying with what data we were targeting, and then we kind of landed on what we thought was was getting the best response and was doing well. Our response rate uh, from our most recent tweak to data so starting in September, October, November timeframe, so 90-day window there, our response rate only averaged 0.32 of 1%, right? So like, you know, in your heyday, you're getting like 2% and the phones are ringing off the hook. So the response rates still remain the same as the last couple of years. They're just not as high. And I think maybe because more people are sending mail. Um, but we we sent out, about twenty one thousand dollars worth of mail over that time frame, and it returned about one hundred and five thousand back over eight contracts. So it was really effective, and and right now I, it's a, probably a combination of our growth and our sales process, as well as the tweak in the data and how we're stacking the data and targeting. That's 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 my deduction from that data, um, so that's just a, another learning point for us and things that we're looking to take into twenty twenty four to be more efficient. I think with our spend there, and then we're also testing stuff. We're always testing something, some type of a channel or some type of a marketing. Um, we're testing AI callers right now with a company, and we're actually helping them dial in the 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 AI and its pace and it's what it's saying and how it's responding. So we're, we're doing some of that too right now.
0: Hmm. That'll be interesting to see. Um, are you ready to share any of that yet? Or you need, we want more data.
1: Yeah, we don't, we don't have enough data. We've been testing it for like a little less than a month right now. It's promising because it looks like the cost per lead could be incredibly attractive. Um, and we, we think we can get the balance between cost per lead and quality of lead. To a pretty good spot the big thing with cold calling like even in the past we stood up a whole big machine for a time and it was it was really profitable like five to one but the return on effort was crazy because you're managing an army of cold callers and you got all this you got all this noise happening um which doesn't let your team be as focused as what on what they need to be as focused on which is conversions and, and contracts and, and revenue right so
0: yeah, the, the interesting thing. That, so, if you're listening to this and you're like, "Oh my gosh, like this is just too too complex for me," like I just want to get my first deal or do my next deal. Um, what I want you to think about is is really understanding that you're wearing all the hats in the business if it's just you, and everything that you're doing, the different like, there, I, I for four and a half months when I was getting started, I understood the concept, I understood the process, I was flip, I had flipped a couple houses. Um, ahead of that, I was actually flipping a few, but I was trying to get in this wholesale business and like direct to seller marketing and stuff, and I just couldn't figure it out. And what I realized is I was just really bad at a, a couple things, <laughs> so I had to remove myself. Like it's it's either people or process that are jacking you up in your business, and so I was the I was the problem. It was the person and the process that I was doing. So it was like me answering the phones and then me going on the sales appointments and doing the sales conversations. I just w- wasn't good at it. And when I replaced myself for those two areas that's when the business took off and then I could do all the business to business sales, like all the dispositions, all the marketing, all the numbers, all the back-end stuff, all the transaction coordination, working with the title company, like doing all those things. I was fine. But, and then I got, I started like outsourcing some of that. So if you're stuck, it might be the fact that you're just, you're trying to do everything and it's, it's, you shouldn't be. And um, there's areas that you're really good at and there's areas that you're probably not so good at. So once you get that first or second deal, like just figure out how to, put that money back in and, and start outsourcing some of those things. So, um, but I, what I want you to get out of this is the fact that there's like Adam was talking about, stood up a big cold calling machine. It was very profitable for a time. What you have to do is you have to be looking at that all the time. You have to be looking and seeing how things are changing. And as they start changing, don't look away, like go deeper and figure out why. And then it might be a tweak that has to be made. And then the numbers will go back up. Or it might be the fact that there's something going on there that is out of your control. And if it's out of your control, it's time to pivot. And so that's, I think, the thing that bit a lot of people is they just weren't willing to accept the fact that it wasn't working the way it was before. They think it was them. They think it was a few other things that they could fix. Spent money, spent time, spent energy fixing them. And then what that did is it just dropped profitability even more. And I'm saying this out of experience, by the way, for some things that are going on with me right now in in my seven-figure flipping business that you'll probably hear about coming up is just, like I have to be ready to rip the bandaid off, make a change, make a pivot, make an adjustment because of what's going on. And it's not like you, we can't, we can't do the same thing over and over expecting different results in a different environment. And so that's what has been happening. Like I'm expecting the results that I got from like 2019, 2020, 2021, doing the exact same thing in a whole new environment right now. And in seven-figure flipping, there's just there's, there's so many coaching programs out there. There's so many options that you have. There's so many different people that you have that you could work with. And just way more than what, what was out there in 2019, 2020. The, the, the model is all across the board. So it's like we have to innovate. We have to think of something new. We have to figure something out. We have to be different. We have to stand out. We have to be unique. We have to do lots of different things. So that's a pivot that I'm having to make. So I, I see this in... Uh, the real estate business as well, those that are willing to pivot or adjust or try a new tactic or a new strategy, they're the ones that are continuing to go. It's the people who are stuck going like, this is what I've always done. This is what I'm always going to do. I'm not going to measure You have to measure all the time, like every month, every couple of weeks, you got to look at it. And then you have to ask yourself, why is this happening? Like what's going on here? And be be able to look in the mirror and say, it could be you.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, for us, like Google ads for me, has not been successful two years in a row. Like, did made minor tweaks and I had the same result. And I, when I looked at it, I was like, man, like, what is going on here? And I, my, I don't have good enough data to go, here's the tweak inside of Google Ads. But what I do know is I was not involved enough in that. That was an outsourced marketing channel. And I didn't have a I don't have a good enough grasp for that to be spend worthy unless I'm willing to get into it deeper so that I can understand why things are or are not happening. And I don't like have a perfect data point that goes, hey, Google ads in this area is X, Y or Z. It's just I I didn't own that in, enough and I can't do what I did the last two years because it, it eats into your profitability. Right. So th- that, that was kind of my deduction from that particular data point. It's like, this isn't profitable and I can't do it again because I need to be in it deeper in order to do that. And, and I, and I may do that at some point, but, um, it just doesn't, I don't want to just start it up blind again with, uh, outsourcing it and and knowing that the last two times I've done it hasn't been profitable.
0: Yeah. And m- most of you will listen to this and be like, Oh, I have to do direct mail. Uh, cold calling doesn't work. Texting doesn't work. Um, uh... Ring this voicemail doesn't work. Um, uh, Google ads don't work for Adam, so I'm not going to do it. I I would encourage you, I I wrote a book called Seven Figure Flipping Underground. And inside that book, I talk about, like, if you have a skill set and you have a background in Google ads, AdWords, running ads, then you should probably start there. If you have a background in, like, driving Facebook traffic and Facebook ads, that might be a good place to start. If you really love talking on the phone, you might want to start just calling people up and having a conversation if you got the gift of gab like there's certain you have time do you have money what do you have and and figure out what your because all of these channels will work if you build the right system around it and you you structure it properly even with some of the regulations that are happening like if i go into our altitude mastermind meeting and i say raise your hand if you're having success like you're making three dollars or more for every dollar you spend on this channel then a third of the room is going to raise their hand. I say, what about this? Channel? Absolutely. Some of those people will put their hands down, more people will put their hands up yep. I change channels. And it's just, it's, there's not one where everybody's like, that's not working for me. Like there's, there's market. It's real estate is very interesting. It's all like the market depends. It depends on the market. It depends on, it's a market to message match. Like the market is the person. It's the place that they hang out. Like it's the avatar. And then there's a message that they're getting in a certain way I remember when, we were in, when I was in Pensacola, I was like, these people are too old to do Google ads. So I, like it's mostly older sellers that we're dealing with, those kind of things. They go to their mailbox, they don't go on the internet. And I had this block for like a year. I was like, I don't think it's going to work here. It works everywhere else. And then I started it up and it was because nobody else was doing it except for the big, the big uh, companies. We went in there and we were make, I was making $7 for every dollar I spent on mail. I was making $15 for every dollar I spent on Google ads in the beginning. With a third-party black box company, and I had no idea what they were doing. And so it's just at the time, nobody was there, and then it started catching on. People see my ads. They're like, oh, maybe I should try this. I'm, I go on a podcast and tell people what I'm doing, and then somebody else in my market hears it, and they do it. And so that's the game. And so they get on. It gets more expensive, more expensive, more expensive. Next thing you know, it's you know, 250 dollars for every dollar I spend, so I have to turn it off and go look somewhere else. And um, so that's kind of what I, I want you to hear is, what you think might work, you're not exactly sure until you test it. You look at the numbers, you look at the data, and you test. You hypothesize, you test, and you pivot. That's it. That's the name of the game in business. Period.
1: Yeah. And uh, okay. What I just say, I think the 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 beauty of that. So it would be easy to say, like you said, like, hey, it didn't work for Adam. I'm not going to do it. But like in the community, I see people effective like cold calling. Colin Spivey's got a really great system. Or or doing Google ads, PPC, it's working really well in their market, which, which is the reason I go pick, Hey, I want to get best of breed and go try to test it in my market. Okay. That didn't work or it did work, do more of that. So on and so forth. So, um, but yeah, like I, there's no way to know unless you go out and test it in your specific market.
0: Yeah. And do it long enough to actually get enough data to make a decision. So that's, that's the challenge for most people. Most people do something for a month or two months and then turn it off and say it doesn't work. And without testing and pivoting, you have to do that for a bit. So I always say like, give it, you got to give it like six months. got to give it six months, but uh, it doesn't mean let it run for six months and let you lose money the whole time. It's like, you have to, you have to tweak the machine a little bit over those six months to make some slight adjustments. So, uh, okay. We talked about number of deals. We talked about the cost per lead. We talked about some of that stuff. Um, What what else went on and what other kind of lessons learned? And what would you like to say to those people who um, that, that in 2023, they either, because uh, it sounds like you, we were uh, less deals than projected doing less than was projected. What, what kind of came of that that you learned that going into 2024 that you're going to change and make an adjustment? From?
1: Yeah, I think um, one, one, just one big, point. <clears throat> excuse me. One big point for us was um, don't, sometimes you can get narrow minded and you're focused on top line revenue, but you also have to protect the bottom line. So always defending against any kind of bloat, whether that's systems or people or whatever it is. Um, and we, we, we identified some stuff and we continue to, to top grade some of that stuff out, um, whether it's a system or something like that. So that's part of it, right? Is, is to keep your eye on the, the, the bottom line, the expenses, not just be focused on the revenue. The other thing is people, the other thing is people, and it's it's hard um, it's hard to wrap your head around what really good people can do for you and your team and your company. But when you do get really good people, you see the kind of aha moment, and the the beauty of that is like, oh man, that's working really well. Wow, this is this is almost refreshing. It feels good to to have that thing going well with that person. But then you look at maybe some other things, and you're you're thinking. Well, that's not what I thought it was now that I see this and maybe I need to either train, have improvement, pour into that person more, or maybe they're just no longer a good fit for where we're going as a company. So those were the, 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 those have been ongoing conversations for us and especially as we look towards 2024 where we we, we personally believe there's going to be an amazing opportunity especially for people who are going the market will be hurting in a lot of ways but people who control the buy price are still going to win if you look at all the things that could happen you start to model out like hey prices go down okay i just got to get a house at a deeper discount but there's not a lot you know there's not a lot available for people even if inventory is going up a little bit those buyers want Um, they need, they, they still need inventory. It's not like the inventory has flooded the market like 2009. It's, it's, it's increased over all time lows. I think we forget that the prices have dropped from all time highs. Right. So, and they haven't dropped exponentially. So I, I think that 2024, I think there's gonna be a lot of opportunity. So we're really getting as efficient and as streamlined as possible. And we're making sure we're going in with what is working right now. and, the right people on the team. And, and we're, we're really excited. I honestly just to take advantage of the opportunities for 24, especially, especially once rates start dropping and that, yep, that's, that's a projection. A lot of uh, experts are making is, you know, Hey, the rates are going to have to come back to improve the economy.
0: Yeah. I like the um, there's an opportunity in any market, by the way, if you're listening to this. So um, I like Adam's uh, concept there. If you control the buy price, like if, if you control the inventory, like you're out looking for inventory, like as long as you, you guys got to buy the widget at the right price to sell at the right price. So um, there's an opportunity if you know, and you can pivot and you can adjust and you can, you know, watch the market and, and you're connected. Like what I love about our group is the fact that, you know, we're talking about this on a regular basis, like every day, yeah, talking talk about what's going on in other markets, what are other people seeing that are in the business full-time. Like, what are they seeing? What's going on? And you can actually get a litmus test of what's going on around the country in, inside of a Facebook group and inside of an event and inside of a, a, a accountability calls and conversations with people. And so you can you can try to figure out, is this going to come to me? Is it not going to come to me? Is it a lookalike uh, market that I'm going to see this shortly after? Or we're, we should be seeing this here too, um, so that you can plan ahead. Because we're not in a long term, like we're not building houses over three years and neighborhoods that take five, 10 years. We are we're flipping a house or we're wholesaling a house and we're in and out of there and, you know, should be less than six months, you know, ideally less than three as a wholesaler, less than one. And so figuring that out, I think is important. Um, if, here's some of the takeaways at term, I've been, I say this for years. One thing that I see where is really, it's rare that I find somebody that's hitting their goals, like hit what they, what they went out to hit. So Adam talked about, they did less deals than they projected less than they projected all kind of all around. It's rare that I find that, number one, because people are trying to do way too much in the year. They're trying to do way too much in the year than they actually can. And so they're always, they're they're training their team and their staff and them to always be like, well, we're not gonna hit it anyway, so it's okay. And so really, I would encourage you guys to set targets that are realistic in your year-long planning and quarterly plannings. Set targets that are realistic. And then if you go over them, that's great. But you wanna set some targets that you can hit. And most of the time, the reason why this happens is we, are, we have a plan that we're going to execute in 2024, and the plan looks really good when we make it. We're making it with our current resources, with the current market, and we're expecting that to continue for the next year. But just assume that 50% of your plan is not going to go as planned. And if that happens, is it even possible for you to still meet the goals that you set in that conference room that day? And so like, you don't know what's going to happen with the market. You don't know what's going to happen with your personnel. You don't know what's going to happen with, um, with anything, really. And so I would assume that you've got to say, I'm going to actually do this with one hand tied behind my back. Could we still do this? And that's the problem that we see. That's the problem that we do every single year. It's pie in the sky in December because we think that we, got it, we, 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 got, we know where we're going. We can see the destination. And the path is, is pretty clear. But the whole year is going to be foggy. So can we actually make it there with a misaligned compass from time to time with losing some people, with cost creep, with, you know, all kinds of uh, site crashing that you have to get back up and start all over. Like all these things that you don't expect are going to happen. And so uh, I'm not talking about sandbagging your goals, but I am talking about get realistic. Like when you say smart and then there's like relevant and, or realistic those are that R-S-M-A-R-R-T, as we talked about in one of the previous shows. Um, and make sure that they're, they're realistic, um, not with your current team and your current staff and everything that's going on, but you know, with a few things that are going wrong and some landmines along the way. So that's, that's the biggest piece of advice that I can give you when you're setting 2024 goals, um, because otherwise you just feel let down and so does your team and your staff and everybody. Around. They just feel like they're not, they're not doing what they should be doing. So that's my biggest piece of advice for you, Adam, and everybody that's listening. Um, as we go in Monday and Tuesday, set our one year and three year goals and plans and then our quarterly rocks and all that stuff. Um, that's what I bring to the table every year. And I, I usually hit like 60 or 70% of my goals too on a good year. So I'm talking to myself as well. Um, Adam, anything that I uh, should have asked you that I didn't ask you that you think the people are listening would want to know?
1: Uh, no, I don't, I don't think so. But I'm, I'm grateful, grateful you, you keep letting me come on here with you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, where can people find out more about you? And is there anything that you need from um, our audience right now?
1: I'm on all the socials, Instagram, official Adam Whitney, come check me out. I'm in the 7 Figure Flipping Facebook community, like nobody's business. So you, you need, you need some, some help. You come in there and I, I, I promise you um, I'll be in there helping you out.
0: Yeah, and if you want to come in there, you can go to the 7 Figure Runway, the number 7figurerunway.com. Um, If you're a higher level investor and you're doing a bunch of deals like 10 or more deals a year, you can go to sevenfigurealtitude.com, fill out an application, talk to us. We'd love to have you. Um, We talk about goals. We talk about planning. We're rolling in. We do accountability groups every quarter. Make sure people set their plans, set their goals, line out their actions, and actually execute and get them done. So um, I'm grateful for you, Adam, to coming on again and and being open and honest and talking about the things you're struggling with so you can help other people. And uh, we will see you on the next show.